Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Welcome to the Bright Vibe podcast. At Bright Vibe, we believe everyone deserves to be happy. But in today's world, everywhere you turn, there is division and negativity. At Bright Vibe, we have created a global movement to bring 8 million people together who are inspired to live bright, live bold, and share bright vibes. Alone, it can be hard to change, but together we can change the world. Welcome to the Bright Vibe podcast. Well, Karen Eber, welcome to the show. Welcome to the Bright Vibe podcast. I'm so happy Thank to you. have you on today. Thank you for having me. Sure. Yes. You are the CEO and chief storyteller of a consulting firm. I believe you categorize it as a consulting firm that bears your name, yep. uh, which is super. I'm assuming that's on purpose. That's it not is. coincidental. <laughs> and you're also the author of a book called The Perfect Story. Yeah. Right. And today we're going to talk about uh, kind of your body of work and how uh, storytelling can be so um, instrumental and impactful in the workplace, but also throughout our lives. Is that what you'd like to talk about today, since that's what your book is about? I would. You you got it right on. Exactly. Perfect. Yeah. Let's Perfect. tell some stories. Good. I love telling stories. And I actually, I think I love hearing stories almost more than I love telling stories, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, so so you, you have you your whole living is teaching corporations. When I say corporations, if you go to your website, I, I said this in pre-show, you know, you've got some pretty big logos on there. I mean, when I say big logos, logos of pretty big companies that you have uh, consulted with, uh, provided education for. And so why is a corporation uh, engaging with your services around storytelling? How does that even happen? Sometimes that's not the entry point. Sometimes it is we want to make our leaders connect with their teams better, or mm. we want to help people be more memorable communicators. But more and more, it is, yeah, how do we create these better connections? How are we using stories to talk about our data, to um, connect when we're, in a, when we're in a hybrid environment? Like, how do we just be less robotic and more human in this age of AI? And um, those are my favorite because they already recognize that this is something that can really help influence behavior and thinking and decision-making. And it also um, minimizes confusion. So it's happening more and more. And I, those are my best days. Mm, that's very cool. And, and so when I was a kid, uh, you know, let's say, I don't know, five, six, seven years old, you know, maybe I wanted to be an astronaut. Maybe I wanted to be a firefighter. I don't know that being a storyteller was in, even in my repertoire of things that I wanted to be when I grew up. So how on earth did you, did you end up making your life's work about storytelling? Like most things I backed into it and didn't realize that's what I was doing until <laughs> enough people said it to me. Uh -huh. I have always been in the space of making work better. And so I always thought of my work as leadership development. Mm -hmm. um, but I've always been in these roles where I was trying to get approval for 
training or investment for technology or something. And mm-hmm. very few people had the ability to say yes, but everyone around me could say no. And I'd start to tell stories to slow down all of those no's and get some of those no's to influence the people that could say yes. Mm-hmm. And over time, I started to recognize, yeah, it's so much more interesting to listen to a story, just like you said, uh-huh. than it is to four people, one meeting at a time. And I started to get asked really frequently, how are you doing this? And how can I tell stories better and what can happen? And so I went from doing to to sharing and breaking it down for people and helping people recognize it's not just enough to tell a story. The way you tell it is going to make a difference in how it's experienced. And so helping show people the science behind it and what's going on in your brain and how do you factor that into your stories to make them more interesting. And, and when we look back at uh, just human history, I guess, the humanity, human history, uh, storytelling is at the very, very basis of everything that we know today, I would say, right? I mean, and so when you think of storytelling, like if I say the word storytelling, to me, I might think about telling a story to my kids or sharing, you know, a funny anecdotal thing that I did, you know, haphazardly or something to make somebody laugh for connection, for entertainment, right? But when you think of storytelling with your background, you know, how do you see storytelling? All of the above. To me, story is, uh, it's a unit of understanding, whether that is when you're with friends at dinner and you're talking about your latest adventure or something embarrassing that happened, or you're trying to influence a customer, a client to, to maybe take a choice or, or buy something that you do, or you're presenting data and you want people to understand it and, and have a different type of discussion, or you're going to give a wedding toast and you want to figure out how do you celebrate the couple, like all of the above. Mm-hmm. It's just, how are you communicating in a way that is dynamic and memorable and interesting? Mm-hmm. And you said something interesting there, which was, uh, which again, lends. that's why I wanted your definition. You said story, and I put a hyphen, unit of understanding. So actually mm-hmm. that's, that's almost like a scientific term, right? A unit of understanding. So story equals, or is in relationship to a unit of understanding. And so when we say unit of understanding, help me define that a little bit more, because I think there's more there too. So what's a unit of understanding? I was hoping that stood alone on its own. <laughs> oh, it, it does, but- <laughs> No, but I'm it, just but... teasing. Yeah, <laughs> okay. so to me, um, I gave a, a TED talk that mm-hmm. became very popular and it opens with a story that I'll just share about mm-hmm. um, this woman, Maria, that's going to her office for the day. And as she gets in the elevator, her arms are full of, of folders and papers and pens and her phone just slips out of her hand when she goes to press the button, it bounces on the floor and it just like goes right in between the <laughs> elevator and the mm-hmm. floor down. Mm-hmm. And she hears it hit in the basement three floors below it's an iPhone and she has an Apple watch on (laughs) and she pings it and it's amazingly still working. Mm -hmm. But she then realizes that it's not just her phone that she lost. It's her, um, it's a phone wallet because Maria has Mm. crossed over into that magical age where she doesn't just carry a phone. She carries the phone wallet and it has her driver's license, her Mm -hmm. credit card, her badge. My wife has one of these. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. She also has crossed over to this Mm -hmm. this point. So Maria can no longer go up to her office because her badge is with it. She can't go to her car. So she has to figure out what to do and ends up going to the front desk to talk to Ray, the security guard. 
And he's so happy to see her because she's the one person every morning that always stops and says hello to him. Mm. She's this person that like knows your favorite food and where you took your last vacation and you know how you take your coffee. And it's not because she's creepy and a stalker. She just really pays attention to people and she wants them to be seen, which is what she does with Rage Day. She's like the one person that doesn't just do the polite head nod. She engages him. And she tells him what happened and his smile just starts to disappear because it's going to be really expensive. He says he has got to call in a service call. They've got to stop all the elevators, get down into the basement. He's like, this is going to be at least $500. And she said, just get a quote. If it's over, you know, if it's under 250, do it. If it's over, let me know. I'm going through the lobby in this moment. I find her, I take her up to her office And when we get there, maybe three minutes later, Ray calls her and he says, you know, I was just looking at the inspection certificate in the elevator and it's due for its inspection, its annual inspection next month. I'm going to go ahead and call that in today. They'll be able to get your phone as a part of that. You don't have to pay anything. It'll all be taken care of. So the same day this happens, I am reading an article in the New York Times about Walt Benninger, who is the CEO of Charles Schwab. Mm-hmm. And he is talking about how in university, he was straight A business major, waltzing into his last exam, expecting to ace it and move on in his life with like the straight A perfect idyllic career path. He gets in there and the professor hands out the exam paper and he asks everyone to turn it over and it's blank. Both sides are blank. They're all looking around the room confused. And the professor says, I have taught you everything there is to know about business except for this one thing. What is the name of the person that cleans this room? And he just turned red and was mortified because he had seen her, but he never spoke to her. And in that moment, he vowed, he was like, I am always going to know people. I'm going to make an effort because her name was Dottie. And he's like, I always want to know that Dottie's in my life because he was you know, disappointed in himself. Mm-hmm. And so I shared that story and I connected it to how as a leader, you are, um, you have this ability to make people feel seen. It's not about level or what people can do for you. It's about how you are interacting with everyone and helping them feel seen. And so that's a basic unit of understanding. But as you listen to the story, you're also thinking, well, what would have happened if I dropped my phone? Like, would Ray have helped me? Would I have even known his name? Would he be happy to see me? Or would I have known Dottie's name? And it, you get a basic understanding, but you also get all of these tentacles for where your mind goes based on your experiences and what it means for you. So Mm -hmm. what's magical about stories is they not only create understanding, they create this way for you to explore and think and grow and, and put yourself in situations you may not have been in that then impact your behaviors and choices going forward. I love it because for some reason, I don't even know why I was analyzing it as you were, as I was listening to your story or listening to the story that you were telling, it was actually when you got to the Dottie part, I was actually felt some sadness, which was weird. I got some emotion behind my eyes and it's not like you're telling it in an emotional way. It's not like you were making it over theatrical, right? You were just telling me the story, but I, for some reason I felt the emotion and, and this compassion for, uh, you know, uh, what was the gentleman's name that was the student, Charles Schwab? Uh, who, yeah, who, Walt Benninger. Yeah, Walt, Walt. I felt compassion for Walt just because yeah. of, of how he I, how he probably felt. I was probably relating to how he felt in that moment to some degree. Yeah. And then and then also just 
and then in my own life, how many times have I walked by the service person that's, you know, cleaning the room or that's serving the drinks or that's, you know, doing the mowing the lawn or something. And I just, and, and not that I did it callously, but just You've been busy live, or live in life, right? Just walk, yeah. walk up. I mean, I, yeah. I, I think of the times where I'm driving along the road and I see somebody who's like, you know, the car stopped on the side of the road and maybe they're needing to change a tire or, or maybe they are changing. And so often I think, man, I just wish I had the time to stop. And the truth is I do have the time to stop. I just am prioritizing that thing I'm already late for right. over connecting with that person on the side of side right. of the road or, or stopping to help. Right. But if I started with you and said, let's talk about what a great leader right. or what a great human does, they help right. people feel seen. They do. Right. You wouldn't have had the same understanding. It wouldn't have the same, you wouldn't have had that same emotion and oomph that right. you felt. And so what is so great about when you can use stories dynamically is, you know, just like you described, you hear Dottie and you felt this little bit of like, oh gosh, I can feel what Walt felt like. I can feel sadness for Dottie. I'm feeling sadness for myself when I think of times where I've been Walt. Um, it just is so much more dynamic than if we sat down and had a conversation about what do great humans do? And mm-hmm. so it's not just the understanding, but it's that emotional connection and, and the, the vows you make of, you know, the next time you, you see are in one of those situations, you might think like, okay, do I want to do something different here? Right. And I even think like when, um, you know, when you're reading great spiritual texts, great wisdom texts, right. It's always stories right? There, there, there's, there's not too many times where it said you should do this and you should do that, right? Because it's, it's typically these stories that take you on a path or take you on a journey. So, and, and I'm assuming you've done, and I don't know the, for a fact you've done the research, but I, I've heard some statistic and I'll, I'll put you on the spot a little bit here, but some statistic is like when you tell people what they should do, like when people ask for your advice and you actually give your advice, it's like, there's something where your brain almost like, I don't know, is it 70% of the time you almost autom- you, you not only reject what they say, but you actually start to do the opposite or something crazy like that? Yeah, I don't know the statistic, okay, but I do okay. think that's true. But I think yeah. if you framed it instead of like, well, let me give you my best advice, right. but you share a narrative, then that could make a difference. One of my unproven hypotheses is when you think of the big pop songs that have taken off, like Billy Joel, Piano Man, um, mm. I don't know, pick a bunch of these, they take off because they're telling a story. Mm-hmm. The ones that really go big are like, we're connecting to them because we like, so believe that story and are just in there with it, singing along and much more than just, you know, the lyrics that are like poetry and, and a couple of verses. Right. And the same thing with like movies, right. Obviously books, um, yeah. all these things, you know, great, you know, the big blockbuster movies is because they tell great stories, right. That's right what, what they, what they do. Are you familiar with Donald Millard's Donald, Donald Millard? Yeah. yeah Cause he was a, what a playwright or a, I want to say playwright screenwriter. He was a screenwriter, right. And that he built the whole thing around that, yeah. um, how to tell stories. So, so when you're working with uh, companies and teams, so I can see how, you know, in life it shows up, storytelling shows up, but when you're working with companies and teams, you know, how are we, how are you able to I guess, how are you coaching them on, on, on with story? I'm still a little lost there on, on that because it seems like in business, it's a lot of directive type conversations, right? There's tasks that have to be done. There's you know, details to those tasks. There's people that have to, are responsible for those tasks. You know, so how are, we use, how are you using storytelling, I guess, to connect or to, I, I, I don't know, to make work more fun? 
Yeah, I would say it's not used enough. The, okay. the the biases in in business often we have to give presentations or give updates on things and the thought is well I need to talk about data and there's no way I can talk about story or um, the the fear is well no one has told me to tell a story like I haven't been invited to tell a story and no one else around me tells a story so I can't do it mm-hmm. and those are um, you know. Uh, habits, maybe things that have been ingrained in people, but they aren't necessarily effective. And so what I try to help people do is I take them through an approach so they understand how to tell stories, but recognize that this is an opportunity to create connection in a difficult coaching conversation that maybe you have to give difficult feedback or someone is really struggling and, and you want to help their perspective. So I just did a, a keynote for mediators And the role of a mediator is that they are impartial. They are not trying to drive any specific outcome. However, they are partial to the fact that they do want to achieve an outcome. They want to guide both parties to a outcome. Um, And so they're tied to, they're guided to uh, a process. So they want to use stories for the moment where maybe one of the parties say, uh, this is my best and final offer. I don't care. And in reality, it's not, they're just frustrated. They Mm -hmm. maybe need a different consideration. So they have an opportunity to use the story to kind of crack some oxygen into that moment and help them think differently. Or mediation is often around very difficult, emotional, hard decisions. And so they can use it to build rapport. Um, There's so many different ways you can do it to shift energy in a moment. And so there's a range of ways you can use it. It's just being aware of, what is it that this moment calls for? What do I want my audience to come away with? And how can I do that with an idea that's going to be more memorable? And I'm always good with examples. That's how I learn because they're stories. So so can you give me some more examples of, of like with clients that you've worked with on how you were able to I guess shift that or shift that for them or help them shift like a difficult conversation about I'll just I'll just leave it wide open any wide conversations open. yeah any any conversations that where they use story to somehow uh channel um the energy into to a more positive outcome I guess probably for both sides right one is a, a CEO that I worked with where they came into an existing company there had been a long serving ceo but there was a, a change to be able to take the company into new directions um the company was very traditional and the new directions involved a lot of migrating to the cloud and embracing different technology and moving away from their tried and true things where they were successful but if you keep going down that path yeah. and you don't ever grow and expand into different markets you you miss out and eventually your base dwindles And um, he first went with 50 McKinsey slides talking about the opportunity and the market and why it's so great and like (laughs) beautiful, but waste too much information on it. Nothing that made anyone in that room be like, yes, let's go. And what I wanted to help him do is help the employees gained trust in him. They didn't know him enough. They didn't have trust that this new direction was worth the change, the exertion, the energy, the, the, what felt risky to do something Mm -hmm. new and different. And um, more importantly, he was struggling with what story would he actually tell Mm -hmm. that would have any impact. And so um, I happened to know at the time we connected at the start of the call, he was talking about 
his son, who is a gifted surfer, like waves mm-hmm. are over his head and he's a young boy, but could just take any wave and do all this amazing stuff. And even in swimming, he could swim. Um, if he was in a swimming competition, he would jump in the pool and, you know, paddle and kick furiously and be out of the pool before all the competitors were halfway. And when he talked to his son, he said, um, are you trying like what to describe what this is like? He said, no, like, why do I need to try? I just do it. And I beat everyone. And he said, you know, at some point you're going to get beaten. They're going to get better. They're going to get faster. If you're not trying, you're never going to grow. You're just going to stay where you are and you're going to get past. And he just had such innate talent. He didn't care. Mm-hmm. But in the winter, he decided I'm going to take up skateboarding because that's kind of a cross training for surfing. I'm going to be oh, great at it. Mm-hmm. He was terrible. What happened on a surfboard did not translate to a skateboard. And so all of a sudden he's in this thing where he can barely stay up on the skateboard and he's having to really listen to his instructors and, and learn to trust what they're saying of trying things that felt really different in his body and felt really uncomfortable. And so we're talking about this and, and I, send him like, tell me this story again about your son. And as he's recounting it, I just start smiling because I see the story very clearly that he needs to tell. Um, and he realizes what I'm doing and he realizes like, yeah, okay. And I knew him well enough to know he would be comfortable sharing this story about his son. So we work on the story and we have him tell it and then make this connection to, you know, you can't stay where you are, that you will get mm-hmm. past, you won't ever grow and develop. And yes, it's awkward and hard and funny, but so much goodness comes from it. And he gives a speech, people seem positive, they go to dinner, and I get this text message from the CEO that at dinner, someone walks up to him and says, once a surfer, always a surfer, let's skate. And I was like, <laughs> um, And so a lot of it is helping people recognize like you can find connection in different ways and you can bring insights in different ways. The problem with him sharing 50 slides of McKinsey data is it's so easy to not connect to any of it and be defensive about it. By telling a story about his son, he's sending this signal to them of, I trust you enough to share this with you. Like I feel Mm. comfortable enough to to Mm -hmm. let you into my life, which neurologically creates an increase in empathy in the listener. It creates oxytocin Mm -hmm. to be released that creates bonding. And it actually increases trust and oxytocin puts this signal in your brain that says, this person is safe to be around. Like I, I want to know this person. And so Mm. neurologically it creates a shift, but it it also gives them different ways to connect with him. And sometimes the parallels of a story that is about a completely different topic lands stronger than if it was about the exact same topic. Right. It's yeah. It's almost like a what was I guess. And, and just in that thought, I had the flash of the Leonardo DiCaprio movie. Um, uh, what's it called? Inception? Is that what it's called? Yes. Where, where oh. if, if, if a thought is, yeah, if a thought yeah. is planted, it, it, a thought, a, a thought planted in the mind is much more powerful than somebody being told or right. Because it's like now it becomes their story. It becomes part of their um, right. life. Uh, and so for some reason I was like, oh, wow, that's kind of like that Inception movie. Right. Um, and if you right. listen to a story like that, mm-hmm. um, you may never surf, you may never stay, you might not have a child that does any of those things, but it does make you, because there's two stories always happening, right? The one you're listening to and the one that starts (laughs) running in your head. And so it makes you think of when did I do something where I bumbled and it was awkward or that, and that's what you're trying to get to. You're trying to get each person to connect to that story and whatever their experience is. 
and relatable. You know, I've been, I, I'm in a, uh, a, a business group called YPO and we have in, in, in within those, we, you have a small group typically of around eight people. And so I've been in that small group, a uh, small group for a long, long time, but there's a specific format they give us for communication and, and the, the basic, or the it's foundationally it's like you should never should anyone right yeah. you you can't should there's no shoulding basically everything that you relate in that setting and and you know we typically have a three to four hour meeting but everything we relate is from the storytelling perspective of our own story so if somebody shares something that's uh, around a challenge in their life maybe they're having a challenge with their spouse or children or work you know it's about sixty percent of it would be work related like with a coworker or with whatever. We can never, we can never say, well, I would, or you should, right? It's like, we have to kind of step back, take a breath and go, I remember when, right? Mm. In my life, I remember when I, I had a coworker that I was having challenges with, and this was the situation and this is how I felt. And this is what I did. And this was my outcome because it's much more effective. Um, it's much more effective way to communicate. And then the the, the listener can take in what they choose to take to your point, that other story, right. they can choose to glean from that, whatever they choose to glean. And then there's no, for in, in the format that we're in, because we're with each other for such a long period of over a long period of time. Um, then there's no expectation of the storyteller for any outcome of the listener, right? right. The expectation and that was the other part of it is like, it's, it's a non-judgmental zone. Meaning if I'm just telling my story, then, you know, people could choose to judge me for the story I'm telling, but ultimately nobody here is focused on my outcome or the listener's outcome. We're all just sharing wisdom or sharing information about how we navigated a situation. And then it's very non-conflictual, right? It's not like you have to figure out, should I do that same thing that Matt did? No, you don't have to. This is just Matt telling his version of that feeling or of, and a lot of times what we do in our forum, our forum group is we relate more to the feeling than we do the actual kind of what you're talking about, right? Everybody, not that, uh, not that everybody is surfed or it will be a good surfer, but everybody has the feeling of X, Y, Z that has the feeling of struggling, has the feeling of being successful in something, but then struggling in something new. Right. And, and so it's just so interesting that, that, you're applying that or helping companies apply that almost like in, in an act because there is vulnerability in that, but then there's also trust that gets built really quickly because I'm telling you something about my life that I wouldn't normally share unless we were talking about fear or anxiety. And yeah, you can get a lot of depth in those conversations. Yeah. Two things on that. First on the YPO, what also works really well in the setup you describe is that if I'm there maybe I haven't had that experience and it's not my topic, but I'm going to hear each of you share your experience and what you remember. And then I might encounter that the next week. And it's going right. to make me pop in my head and think like, oh yeah, this is kind right. of like what I heard. And now I no longer feel like I'm on my back foot. I know something to try and maybe it's not right, but I have a place to start from. And there's, that's, you know, the heart of learning and development right there. Hmm. Um, on the vulnerability, it is 100% true. There is no way around it. There's actually neural chemicals for why that's happening. So when you you are telling a story so often, whether you're on camera or in front of a room or with people, 
they're looking at you and the brain says, why is everyone looking at us? Is there <laughs> right. something happening here? Am I in danger? And your, your cortisol and adrenaline sometimes do get elevated because so, the whole intent is for your, your brain saying something's happening here, focus so we can respond. So there's naturally this feeling that happens that lends to what we translate it to that's vulnerability. We know in neuroscience research that the, um, chemically, all the things that are happening are no different in a, a feeling that feels threatening to when it's exciting. The difference is the definition we put on it. So when something feels stressful or, or, you know, anxiety producing, it's because that's how we're labeling it. The same exact chemicals would be happening if we were excited. And so the first thing is recognizing that um, people, I think, think that they're going to be able to conquer that feeling and they're going to be able to like wipe it clean and tell a story that feels friendly and comfortable and not nervous. And it's just not true, but telling a story gives you a dopamine bump and it gives you all of the positive responses from your audience with the empathy and the bonding. And so part of the work that I do is try to find opportunities for people to tell stories because the only way through it is through, you don't think yourself out of it, but once you do it, you realize like, Oh, that wasn't so bad. And that was so much more impactful. So now I want to do it again. Right, of course. And how do you make storytelling part of the culture or part of the natural rhythm? It's so much easier, I think, than people think. Mm -hmm. The There's so much natural rhythm, like in a business context, there's so much natural rhythm that happens. There is planning and strategizing. That is all about what is it that we're trying to achieve? What does it look like when we get there, right? That's sharing stories of what that could look like or feel like, you know, when I'm working with leaders where we're going to work with our team, I'll often ask them, do you want to make this the best experience that these employees have ever had? Like, is that mm -hmm. important to you as a leader? And then they always, you know, swallow hard. And I'm like, don't stress about it. Like, <laughs> let's think about what would that mean? What right. does that look like? So there's always the front end stuff and, and paired with that is reflecting as we're trying to set our goals and priorities, reflecting on what have we done that's been successful? What's worked? Where have mm -hmm. we been at our best? What do we love? So there's always that. But then as you start to move forward on different things that you're working on, it is pausing and reflecting of like, how are things going? What's working well? What isn't working well? All of those are moments for stories. When there are mistakes, it's such a rich moment to tell a story. And part of the way you infuse a storytelling culture is when the leader starts and they start talking about a mistake and they create this environment where it's okay for everyone to talk about it and learn from it and figure out what do we do differently next time. And you tell stories about things you want to encourage and reinforce. It's mm -hmm. looking at the work that's happening and think about how can we bring different meaning to it and, and infuse it um, in here. Yeah, I love that. You know, I was uh, a couple of weeks ago, I went to a, um, a retreat center for about a week to kind of do a, my own, I hadn't had a chance to reset. I used to, before I was married and kids, I used to travel quite a bit and do lots of resets, right? Just go to different places and learn, especially personal and uh, development and, and professional development. And so I hadn't done that for a while. I was like, you know what? I'm going to take this five days. There's a course, you know, some coursework I want to go do. And it was really interesting. It was a small group, about 12 people. Um, and the the founder uh, and his wife both participated in the, the workshops. And it was a lot of, um, you know, we do like an hour worth of like mirroring stuff or circling. I mean, all these kind of psycho psychotherapy type techniques. Um, but it was interesting. We, so we'd come back a couple times a day and we just all sit in a circle 
And the, the, we would go around and just share where we were at in the experience, you know, what was that experience like for you? What did you glean from it? Right. And the funny thing was, or the thing that I guess impressed me the most was that the facilitator, um, his name is Austin, Austin would, would share his experience. And it was like, and I'm not behind the curtain here. Yeah. It was like, and and he was very authentic with his experience Mm -hmm. of, oh, I felt uncomfortable or I'm currently feeling stressed because I want to make sure that I'm delivering, you know, value to the group. And I don't know that I'm, you know, and, and it was just like, what? What's going on? I mean, at first it, I thought it was kind of, you know, at first I didn't know quite what I was seeing because it happened the first, you know, couple of times. I'm like, well, that's interesting that he's, and not only he would share, he would have like the the support staff that were in the room that were kind of supporting the group. He'd have them share about their experience. He, we had, it was on site and he had, you know, a chef there cooking and the chef would come in and talk about his experience of what was happening. And I was just like, that is so cool. And so we, you know, we have these follow-up calls we've been doing weekly and and in those follow-up calls, everybody does their check-in share, three minute, just kind of, you know, your, 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 your wins and your challenges for the last week, right? Simple stuff. And he does his wins and challenges for the last week. And I'm just like, wow, that's so cool. But I, I, it, it's done a couple of things. It, it made him a real person with real challenges. And yeah. instead of being a, a, a kind of a, a, um, he was leading through example, but instead of being kind of up on a pedestal and I'm the teacher and you're the student, it's like, we're all students. I'm just facilitating the content and the container in which we're going to play right now. And it was just very, I thought it was, and, and you could watch people just so endeared to him and, and the way he was teaching because it, he was not trying to be smarter or wiser or impart this vast knowledge it was basically like here we have some tools let's here's how you use the tool i'll give you examples of how to use the tool let's use the tool and then let's all talk about how it made us feel and i was just like wow that's really cool and that's just it's a it's a leadership style i would love to emulate and i will work on more because i thought wow that's so cool how you can lead people but also be authentic with what your experience is so that you do start to break down those walls of um What's he thinking, right? I, too often in my life, I think I've just held on to not or held on to. I can't share this with the staff because I can't share this with the team because if they know, they'll freak out, right, or something. And I think there's appropriate things, you know. There's appropriate and, and there's times you probably have to hold stuff a little closer to the vest. Yeah. But for for the most part, I think if you're you have fear around something or if you have anxiety around something, I think sharing that um, in an authentic way it actually strengthens uh, the team. It actually, because then everybody can choose to rise up to, into that or then express their own fears. If, if that, it probably also made you feel more trust towards him and the different things he was facilitating. Like of you're course. more open to try, right? Yeah. Right. I worked with a leader in a big fortune 500 company who was really awkward. He was the leader that would just <laughs> come into the room and be like, let's go. We've got the agenda items. Boom, boom, boom. And someone pulled him aside. It wasn't me. Someone pulled him aside and said, you need to share more of yourself. Like you right. need to not jump in and be so taskmaster. People need to have a connection with you. And so it was still a little bit of taskmaster, but he would come in and he would then share some anecdote from his weekend or something yep. that happened. And it completely changed the tone. Now in his mind, he was like, check, yep. you know, shared right. my personal Told thing. The story. Now I can go on. Right? Yeah, exactly. yeah, right. But it made a big difference in how people started to experience him and interact with him. Because when someone's sharing something and 
personal does not mean private. Personal doesn't mean you're sharing right. anything exposing. Everyone right. chooses what that yeah. is. Personal means that you're sharing your perspective on right. something. Even if mm -hmm. I'm telling the story about Walt and Maria, I'm making uh -huh. it personal by the way I tell it. Mm -hmm. um, and it just creates a different dynamic. And so mm -hmm. you know, to your question of how do you use it? It could be that simple of how you're you're building rapport in an interaction, or in this case, most people didn't know him. So how do you walk into a room and set people right. at ease and change the tone a little bit? You know, I've really shifted my mindset. I'd love your input on this. I've shifted my mindset uh, on Zoom meetings, right? Because we have a lot, of, obviously we have lots of Zoom meetings now and I have more remote team than I used to ever have. And I'm part of a remote team. And so in the beginning, like, when, you know, COVID was here and I was working literally out of my house, everything was very like tech, 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 tech. I mean, we, I mean, it was just like, we just needed to get stuff done. Let's crunch it. Let's see. And then as it's kind of evolved, even in this last couple of months, I went, you know, we've got these rhythm meetings and we're coming into a space. It's okay to not have it be so quite so um, agenda driven. It's okay to spend some time chit chatting, right? About the weekend or father's day or a kid's birthday it, it, that's healthy and i started instead of looking at it as meetings i started really looking at this is just collaboration time right this is we're not especially the ones where we're like meeting multiple times a week you know the team to work on specific projects it's like this is just really work time together and so it became the it, we, I, we started to shift to kind of like, we would just start working on stuff and sometimes we're talking and sometimes we're not but we're just kind of hanging out sometimes during that hour and we're pulling up stuff. Hey, I've got a question on this or it, but it became less about the, the tap being, getting everything checked off to more of, no, this is just a work time. Like we would have, if we were at the office, if we were at the office and we were hanging out, we'd just start collaborating. So how do we kind of start just having space to collaborate? So I guess from your professional or personal experience, kind of, how have you seen that? How are you seeing that play out in the new virtual world? I think each team has to figure out when do they need to come together and come together doesn't necessarily mean in person, but right. you know, when and how, which to me was the opportunity through all of these years where changes were introduced to really think about like, what is meaningful and working? Are we having these meetings because they're actually producing something helpful for all of us? Or we're having them out of habit. Right. And part of it is some teams do want to have that, like, let's just have dedicated time where we're all on the, mm. the line together so we can check in with each other. Um, and others felt like, you know, no, we're going to eliminate our meetings or we're going to stack all our meetings on one day and right. come in the office and do that. And the rest of the time um, it's shifting how we interact and mm -hmm. the, those that aren't taking advantage of that are shortchanged. So all of these, like get back into the office mandates are um, to me, real estate decisions and not productivity decisions. Mm -hmm. It's an excuse for, um, are we teaching people to lead in all environments? And mm -hmm. are we teaching them to think about what is the most helpful thing that's needed in a situation? Because forcing people to, you know, sit in a car and commute just to sit in a room and do something that they could have <laughs> done over zoom, like that's not helpful either. Um, so I do think it's an opportunity to stop and think and create space where it doesn't all have to be agenda driven with one caveat that mm -hmm. um, there's really interesting research on the continuum of introvert through ambivert to extrovert mm -hmm. that, um, you know, the introverts derive 
um, different energy from interaction. So many extroverts derive that energy from the processing, the being around each other, the socializing doesn't need to have a specific topic. It's just the act of interaction. But for introverts, what the research is saying is that the meaning really matters. So Mm. small talk is very draining because it feels fluff and meaningful. Like, Mm. I don't want to talk to you about the weather. I could care less. Don't waste my time on that. But let's talk about something that does feel meaningful and that could be really impactful. And so to me, this question of collaboration and stuff is is some of those norms of what is most meaningful for people or is it there's absolutely no meaning in this time. We're just going to have it and, you know, work if you want, speak up if you want. Um, But that's, I think you know, I think some of the drains that happened when we were all on cameras all the time and mm-hmm. is there was a lot that was, um, felt like forced fun or felt like right. forced, uh, exercises that could be draining. Right. And I still get some of that. So I think for us, it's going to be that balance of, yeah, what's, what's a strategy meeting where we're being tactical. And then just, then when there's, just, when is there just work time where we're, and I, and I like that. So I'm like experimenting with that kind of just a work time where we're all hanging out at the same time and we're all on zoom, but we also are all maybe working on different stuff and mm-hmm. we're just hanging out and like once in a while, a question will pop up, but let's all just do what we're doing. And then if we have questions, we can collaborate, but if not, then we just continue and we're just kind of hanging out. So I think yeah. that'll be an interesting ex- experiment for us just to continue kind of that nice. um, experiment. Right. And nice. then I, th- and, and I do, th- I, you know, as we've, as our company is becoming more and more virtual, you know, we're intentionally thinking about at least once a month being as, as much as we can being in the same space for a day or two. Um, and then quarterly kind of doing that more of that two or three day offsite, let's go have some fun and the bonding side of things, right? Kind of the more of the human, let's go bond and do, do something fun. And then let's get some collaboration and get some work done at the same time. So it's more integrate life. Uh, I, I heard somebody make fun, not fun of, but they say there is no work-life balance. There's only work-life integration. Yeah. yeah. Right? I'm a fan of what you describe because there are things that you um, can only do in person. And so I think some of the mistakes that are happening is people are forcing these, you know, standing meetings in person, and then they're doing things that could have been done out, you know, (laughs) in person. Um, I am a big fan of like, yeah, pick a day a month or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously not every role can do that because everyone has different circumstances, but where you can stack the meetings and really mm-hmm. have time to have the deeper discussions. And then of course the, the offsite type meeting where you are getting a chance to really step back and reflect and, and have that connection and then have larger chunks of working time. Mm-hmm. I think that's really huge because there hasn't been a company that I've spoken to where anybody's like, we don't have enough meetings. We just have so much free time, right? Everyone right. always complains too many, too meetings. many meetings. Right. So I always encourage leaders like, great. I want you to give your team each person a hundred of whatever your local currency is mm-hmm. fake, right? Um, and over the course of a week or whatever your cadence is of standing meetings, have them allocate the value of that meeting. Mm-hmm. They get to divvy up however much money it gets. Oh, and then at the end of the time, you look at it and you see where was the money spent? What are they saying is meaningful and what are they saying isn't? Because then you can stop and see like, what do we need to do different? Or do we even need this? Or what are right. what are you not getting? It's just a very different 
way, which is a good thing to do over time because you right. know there's Those there's things organizational change, right? debt everywhere, right? Yeah, we right. all get, but it's such a great way to really think of it differently of like, yeah, how am I valuing this and what would make it different? I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I'm gonna I, I've been I like to play with this last question. Um just because I get so many, so many like little nuggets out of each podcast when I, I feel, you know, a lot of times I fully, I fully love and enjoy doing podcasting because I learn so much from it. That's, you know, there's a, it's like a, a such a blessing to be able to visit with people and about their wisdom and their gifts. It's just like, wow, this is really cool. And so as, as we kind of, um, wind up our time here, I'd like to pose a question, which i which I've been using quite a lot, which is if, you know, if there was only one message and now I'm just opening up to, I'm opening up all channels of your past and all wisdom and all knowledge and all grace. If there was one message you can impart to the other 8 billion people uh, that occupy this planet, we call earth. If, if basically we could put this video on a little thing and we could, literally mail it or whatever broadcast it to everybody on the planet and you only had a limited time to speak very much like i'm assuming kind of what you did on your ted talk but like a ted talk except much shorter and much broader what 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 would you want everybody to know that feels high stakes um, it is high stakes. That's why I love this question because yeah. I always get answers that I did do not expect. I'll give you a little time to think here. Uh, so I always get, <laughs> I always get, I always get answers I don't expect, and I always get stuff that I'm just like shifts helps me shift my own perspective. The thing that's coming to mind uh -huh. um, is really that you know we are creatures of connection. We all need each other. We need to be kinder to each other, mm -hmm. to um, be able to support each other. And you, um, it's rare that you listen to someone's story and you come away not wanting to do that in some shape or form. And so being open to learning about people and their experiences can be such a important experience in our life and, and influence our path. Totally. I think that's, I think for the other 7.999 billion people, I think that was a great, a great, a great uh, message. And, and as I was, I was, it just came from a, a networking lunch here just a little bit, bit ago, just a random where they once a month, they just get together people in the real estate uh, space here and where I live. And I was, I was driving away from there and I just went, because somebody came up and approached and, you know, said, Hey, I'm doing this. And, oh, and then there was all these like little connections. And I think we're going to get together next week and, and continue the conversation. I just thought, you know, I'd never been to that lunch before. I got invited because one of my business partners wanted me to come there so we could talk about some of the stuff we're doing. And I just went, had I never showed up, had I just stayed in the digital space or had I just stayed in my little bubble, I would, that, that, that meeting. And then I look like, Everything that happens in our lives, for the most part, is exactly what you talked about, where it's some conversation that we're having with some, sometimes somebody very random, that stranger, we would call them. And then the next thing you know, it leads to this and it leads to this and it leads. And I think that's the story of my whole life. My whole mm -hmm. life is built on this thing of being in, in connection or community with other people. And they say something and it takes me down this path. And then, and, and then my life changes, right? So it's... I. I I think to your point, it it's probably one of probably the most important thing is being open to the stories and open to the connection. 
I uh, recently was speaking, giving a keynote at a conference and the next morning was at breakfast and I, I am an introvert. And so I um, was like wanting to go sit by myself. <laughs> no, I, I get that. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but as I was down there, I saw this young man. So this particular conference had sponsored this young man who had recently graduated university. So very young man mm-hmm. in his twenties. Um, and I saw him sitting at a table by himself and something inside me said, go say hello. And I did. And we had a really nice exchange. And I then invited myself to sit down at his table is very not like me. Um, and he started to share. So he's, he lives in India mm-hmm. and he started to share that when he got the invite to attend this, um, his ad- admission was sponsored, his ticket was sponsored, all of that. Um, his family said, this is fraud. There is no reason why oh, this organization would oh, be yeah. wanting to send you. Why would right. they pick you? They are going to take your passport and send you to a labor <laughs> camp and you are going to be working. Like they were right. 100% concerned. Convinced. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And he, and he's saying this to me and I'm thinking like, oh my goodness, you know, wow. here I am mm-hmm. complaining in 26 D on the mm-hmm. flight over of like, am I going to watch magic micro? Am I going to watch that? You know? <laughs> right. And right. He's on this plane. Not exactly sure. Sure. If, if, it, if his life, going he's going to be, yeah, a, what's going to happen. Uh, right. And Traffic. his family doesn't want him to come, but his response to them was, if that's the case, so be it. Like, this is an opportunity. I have to go. And this young man was just so gracious and excited. And he was like taking selfies with everyone. And he was telling me how much responsibility he felt to come back to share with his colleagues what he learned and what he wants to do. And we've had some exchanges since then. And I think like, yeah, if I had been my normal introvert self and hadn't taken a moment to sit down, I would not have had this conversation that I have thought about this young man like every day since mm-hmm. and probably will every time I get on a plane and and all yeah. of that. And it's such a just touching, warming thing. And it reminds you that, you know, this world isn't that big, but we all have different circumstances in life. Totally, totally. Well, Karen, thank you so much for coming on the program today uh, and on the podcast. We cer- I certainly appreciated visiting with you. It was a pleasure and I really enjoyed our time together today. Thank you. Yeah, yes. And how do, uh, so your website, let's just put it on here just in case we don't get it in the show notes for some strange reason is just Karen, just like it sounds, E-B-E-R, Eber.com, Karen Eber.com. And it's got you and your story and what you do and, and about the book, right? It's got your book stuff on there. So all things, is that where it's best? Any social media? That is media? the best way. Yeah. That's okay. the best way to get to me. Thank you. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciated your time and I look forward to visiting in the future. If Hopefully our paths will cross again someday. That would be wonderful. Thank you so much, Karen. Thanks. Thank you for being a part of the Bright Vibe podcast. For more information, go to brightvibe.com. That's B-R-I-T-E, vibe, B-I-B-E.com. Thank you for listening.